0: Summer may be easy and breezy and relaxing for some, but for others, it can be routine as normal and busy and hectic and relentless with family coming into town, vacations, work not letting up, kids out of school, and so on. And I've noticed that when busyness comes into my life, it can cause me to not be so present with my family, with my people, and also it tempts me to forget to prioritize Jesus. So this may surprise you, but something mega practical that I have been doing in my life is automating and making something like a household task that I have to do all the time no matter the season so much simpler and for us that has been Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online grocery store that restricts 1000 plus harmful ingredients and only sells the best and yummiest quality because they care about you ordering on their easy app and getting things delivered to my literal doorstep in days is a huge stress reliever and it saves me time so I don't have to give up my other precious time or energy this summer this last order we received a few days ago we got the simply protein cookies and cream bars and it is literally the yummiest protein bar I've ever tried hunters even trying to steal some of them we even saved $20 on last week's order. And hey, if you're still not convinced, they have a price match guarantee. I mean, say less, right? So this summer, save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to ThriveMarket.com slash Truth Talks and get 30% off your first order. Plus, you get a free $60 gift. That's T H R I V E Market.com slash Truth Talks. slash Truth Talks. Hi, sis. Welcome to Truth Talks with Tara. The purpose behind this podcast and online ministry is to help beautiful women like yourself know, love, and live God's truth. Not only will this be a space of truthful, faith-filled talks, it will also be a place where we let God's word speak for itself, because God's truth speaks. My name is Tara and I'm your host, but you can call me your sister. Join me each week as we talk about the truth of God's word and how it can ignite us with purpose. We'll talk about God's word, how we're called to live, challenging topics, and grow in faith together. My prayer is that God would use this podcast to encourage and equip our hearts. Let's be women who love his truth, live his truth, and spread his truth. Hi, sweet friend. Welcome back to the podcast. It is so stinking cold to see you here again and get the chance to fellowship. I can't believe that we're creeping up on 10 episodes almost of this show. Wow. God is faithful and totally bringing the truth here. I really can't take any credit except for speaking through the microphone. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. I hope by now you understand how much I appreciate, respect, adore, and cherish you. Okay, enough mushiness for now. I am fired up about today's episode. Would you believe me if I said that I've been thinking and praying and considering this topic over the last four months? To be honest with you, this theme has been sitting in drafts, not hit published on a blog or a podcast episode for quite a long time. It's not that I didn't really want to share this with you, but I really wanted to spend some time figuring out what God has to say about it and what it actually means for us. As you can tell from the title, we're going to be talking about idols today. And I don't mean the American Idol, and I don't mean that person in your life that's your quote-unquote idol. I'm talking about idolatry as the Bible describes it and how to discern and destroy idols in our very own lives. So whether or not we like to admit it, we all have set up idols in our lives, whether they're obvious to us or not. And as we read the Bible and learn more about God, we can see that He doesn't take idolatry lightly. It was actually brought up in the very first breath of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Today, we're going to break down this theme by answering a few questions. What idolatry is, why it's harmful, how to identify idols in our own lives, how to destroy them, and more. So buckle up, friend. Open up your heart and ears with me. We're not going to want to miss this. Alrighty, let's start with the first question that we're going to ask and answer, an obvious one at that. So the first one is, what is idolatry? So we can see a very clear and blunt definition of the word idolatry in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment gives us a great basis. God tells Moses in the book of Exodus to write down these Ten Commandments, and the first is, you shall have no other gods before me. In its essence, idolatry is placing anything above God, worshiping someone or something before God, over God, claiming something to be more beautiful, valuable, or more worthy of worship than our creator. We know that worship is paying respect and honor to God, right? Humbling ourselves under God, giving Him praise, thanks, and adoration for who He is. We know that worship is basically putting value and attention on something, and we as Christians are called to solely worship God, nothing else, right? So this is where idolatry comes into play. Idolatry rears its ugly head in our lives when we praise, love, value, or honor something or spend more time with other things than God. Let's think of it this way. God is meant to be on the throne of our hearts, solely. God alone. Picture a beautiful, solid gold throne. Thrones in the Old Testament in our world's history symbolized the utmost power. Usually only kings and supreme rulers sat on them. Not just anyone had a throne. Their height was a metaphor for how they stood above the rest and others were called to submit and praise under them. So as Christians, it's both a call and an honor to place God on the throne of our hearts. First place, highest praise position. But when we become an idolater, that's an icky word, but when we do, we go after something other than God in idolatry. We put that thing or that person on the throne. It's pushing God off, just pushing him off that seat and replacing him with something we feel is better or more worth to praise. We may not admit that's what we're doing. I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't always admit that's what I'm doing, but God is a jealous and righteous God. Nothing or no one can compare to him and nothing should. Emphasis on the should. It was a command given to the Israelites thousands of years ago and to us today, not to oppress us as individuals or to appease God's ego, but because he simply deserves it, because of who he is and what he's done for us. Something else really important to touch on as well is that idolatry isn't only misplaced worship, it's also a sin. I know, I know, it's not fun to talk about sin and violating God's law, but it's necessary, friend. It's so important to recognize our temptations and the sin that can trip us up. Why? Why should we just not, you know, push it under the rug and not talk about it? Well, it's so we can combat it in the Spirit, in His help, so we can be wise and equipped followers of Christ who strive hard to continually place God first above anything else. Alright, moving on. The next question we're going to tackle is, now that we have the foundation of what idolatry is, let's ask and answer why idolatry is a bad thing. Well, first of all, God tells us that it is, just plain and simple. Like we just talked about a few seconds ago, God explicitly says in the Bible that it's a sin. In Exodus 20, he says to put no other gods before him. In verse 5, God elaborates and says that those who put anything else before him, anyone who gives their lives to idols, will face his wrath and jealousy. Let's hold up for a second. Have you ever heard the phrase, God is a jealous God? I have to admit, when I was young, I got really hung up on that phrase. I never understood what it meant or looked like for God to be jealous. Was it the same thing? Did it look like when I got jealous, when I became envious of my friend's new wardrobe or the fact that she got this for Christmas and I didn't? Is that what it meant for God to be jealous? Let's break it down and get to the bottom of this, shall we? God, our creator and father, is worthy of every single speck of honor, praise, and love from creation. His creation. Why? Because he created us. Because he created everything. Because he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and so much more. His character traits and track record give him the authority to say that nothing else should come before him because, to put it simply, there's no one better. Can I get an amen? Therefore, this makes God a jealous God, one that gets fired up when his creation runs after small gods and idols instead of him. But here's the cool thing. Unlike you and I, God does not sin in his jealousy. He doesn't sin at all. He doesn't mess up. It's not bad. But his jealousy is righteous, it's justified, it's understandable. Why? Again, because he is simply the first and the best. Whenever you hear the term God's jealousy, think about it also as his zeal. That's basically a fancy word to say God's great energy or enthusiasm towards us, his creation, and his will. He is so energetic and passionate about our well-being, not only as his creation, but as his children. So if he knows that our lives are best and thriving when we don't put God's before him, we should follow him in it, right? Because he makes every move, decision, and plan for his glory, our good, and growth. It blows my mind when I think about it, but God's jealousy, his need for wanting himself only to be the first in our lives, is actually loving seriously, it's actually loving, because he's trying to protect us from the downfall, danger, disappointment, and negativity of worshiping anything other than him. We're going to touch more on this as the episode goes on, but idolatry also destroys us in the long run. It's like a roadblock, a quick spreading virus, or a flashy sign that promises the answers to life, but can never deliver. Again, more on that later. The next question we're going to answer is, what is an idol and where does it start? Emphasis on where does it start. So here's the funny thing. When we think of idolatry, don't we usually immediately picture a Buddhist statue or something like that in our minds? Although those are some of the idols we do face in this life, it can really be anything. Idols can really be anything. And here's the catch. Idolatry didn't start with someone carving a Buddha statue. It started in an individual's heart and mind. That's the origin of idolatry, where it starts, right in our hearts and minds. I'm sure you can relate to this. Our hearts start to crave, want, enjoy, or desire something other than God. It just happens. Again, like we mentioned before, an idol is anything, literally anything we treasure, honor, and hold more valuable than God himself. It could be a thing, person, place, ideal, goal. It could be the approval of people, the desire for more money, money in general, sex, social media, your significant other, your husband, your wife, sports, personal appearance, health, you name it. Psalm 135, 15 through 18 says, and definitely listen in, this is so descriptive. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Oof. Talk about convicting, right? (laughs) Even though our idols may not be gold or silver, the truth still remains. When we really think about what our things or flawed affections are made out of, we'll quickly realize that they can't size up to God. They can't save. They can't breathe. They can't talk. They can't see. When we compare who God is, what he's done, and what he promises to come, can our idols even be on the same scale? Should they even be in the same room? So here's where we take a turn. When we turn to Christ and away from our idols, God sets us free. There's no condemnation anymore in Christ. Romans 1.17 tells us that. That means there's no threat of eternal damnation or punishment. Sure, he doesn't want his children that claim to love him be idolaters because he's jealous and loving. But he also doesn't want us to believe the lie that we can't ever overcome our idols and put him back in first place. He doesn't want us to continue in it. That's the beauty of no condemnation and all grace. It's not an easy way out. It's not a way for us to keep sinning and being idolaters, like I said before. But on the contrary, it's a freeing and humbling realization that in Christ, we have hope. We have a better way to live, even if the idols of this world seem to argue otherwise. And we always have his grace, truth, and guidance to guide us back when we've lost our way. Where sin runs deep, his grace is more. A to the men. Am I right? Sweet friend, Here is some amazing, stinking amazing news. If you truly love God and have been changed by Him through salvation, you'll desire to be obedient. You'll desire to change and put God back in first place when He's fallen off, when we've replaced Him. This doesn't mean it's easy and this doesn't mean that it'll always happen right away, right in that moment. And this surely doesn't mean that it feels good. I mean, most of the time, if not all the time, rooting out idols and being obedient to God hurts. But what I mean is, if we're truly in Christ, we have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and one of His main jobs is to convict. This means He is tasked with prodding at believers' hearts, reminding them when they've strayed from God's command, and encouraging them to get back on track. The good news is that the Holy Spirit will give us instruction on how to get back on the right path. We almost likely know this popular passage from the Holy Spirit's quote unquote job occupation in John 14. Let's read verse 26 together. It says, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is God talking, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So we've just laid a really good foundation and talked about some fundamental questions identifying what idolatry is, how it's harmful, and all those kinds of things. So the next thing that we're going to move on to is steps to discern and destroy the idols in your life. This is going to be the really practical part of the episode where we talk about some really fundamental scripture-based truths that can really help us, and it's also going to be a really good time for us to analyze our own hearts. As you listen, as I speak even, let's all just analyze our hearts and see where we're coming from, maybe the idols in our lives that God wants to discern and destroy in our lives. So here we go. The first step that I would encourage you in is to admit that your idol is an idol. Let's not sugarcoat. Remember that there's no shame. Like we just talked about earlier, remember no condemnation. Remember your fallen humanity. Remember who we are as sinful human beings, but let's also recognize it for what it is. If it's above God, If something is above God, taking more of your time, preoccupation, and energy, it's an idol. Like, think about it. We can't destroy something if we don't admit it, if we don't acknowledge it. We can't destroy something or get rid of it in our lives if we don't recognize it's actually hurting us, right? If we're actually sitting back and realizing, oh, this isn't actually getting me any closer to the Lord. If I continued looking at my sin or idolatry of something as harmless or good for me or not that big of a deal, why would I ever want to get rid of it, right? This is when we ask the Lord to come in and assess the situation in our heart through the Holy Spirit's working. Psalm 13923 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David closes out this psalm, a very popular psalm at that, with these verses, just after talking about how God searches and knows us, how he literally knit us together in our mother's womb. We all know that verse, right? And also how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It may seem confusing why David chooses to close out those thoughts with those last verses. But here's why. In light of those truths that we're created by God and he knows all, we should be compelled to ask God to search and know us. This basically is just a humble way of admitting and surrendering to the fact that God already knows all. Before an idol or sin or really anything springs up in our lives, He knows about it. Although He already knows it, David in these verses encourages us to invite God into our lives to search and know us, to scan our hearts and lives with the aim to grow us, aka lead us in the way everlasting. And although the way everlasting only sounds like something out of a fairy tale book, it's really David's way of saying the way that God loves us to walk. The righteous, beautiful, promising, sanctifying way of life that God wants us to live as his free and beloved children. I don't know about you, but that's stinking cool, right? See, we desperately need to understand as sticky as sin and idols can be that God doesn't want to search and know our hearts to punish us or make us feel bad. He doesn't want to do it so he can laugh at us or point a finger at that idol or sin in our lives. He actually wants to show us that there's a better way and we can live in it with obedience while we trust his correction and rehabilitation. I think when we understand that, that God's not out to get us or shame us. Again, no condemnation. I think when we understand that, that he really just has a better way for us to live. And if he's offering it in him, if we've given our lives to him, why don't we follow it? He's a gracious God to even give us this opportunity. The next step that I would encourage us in is confessing and making a 180 degree turn. And it's pretty non-negotiable. Let's face it, friend. Healing and restoration comes from confession, no matter how much it hurts our pride. No matter how much it may strip away at us or hurt or sting or bleed, no matter how embarrassing it may be. Confession is essentially the acknowledgement of our sin. Yes, that includes idolatry like we're talking about today. It is a humble posture. Think about it as a humble downward posture, admitting that we've strayed from God's commands. In Psalm 38, 18, David says, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. By saying this, David was demonstrating his true faith by confessing his sin. True faith comes with acknowledging our sin, right? Our need for a savior. So the same goes for even after we've given our lives to Christ, after we've put our faith in him and made that confession of salvation. Before we accept Christ initially, we must confess our sins to receive salvation. That's what the Bible says. But we also need to continually admit and recognize our sins to maintain fellowship with him as we continue our lives. Think of sin, and in this case, for this episode, idolatry, as a barrier between us and the perfect fellowship with God. Think of it as a giant wall, a hindrance to our growth in our faith, effectiveness for God, and really our relationship with him. So, we need to continually analyze our lives and let the Lord search and know us. It's about laying down our pride and admitting to God that we've turned aside. Think of confession and repentance as bringing sin to the light, God light himself, and watch him receive you with open arms. Think of it as making a 180 degree turn. You know how 360 degrees is a complete circle? Starting and ending at the same spot, think about spinning in a circle. Well 180 degrees is half of that, starting in one direction and turning your back on where you started. I love to think about this illustration when thinking of confession and repentance. It's confessing the idolatry or sin that I've been holding on to. And through that, through the turning, it turns my back to that sin. It turns me away from that sin. Sure, I may turn back to that at times because look at me. Look at us. We're sinful, flawed human beings. But in the spirit, we have the capability to be stronger and more aware of that stronghold of sin. Watch the Lord release a weight off your shoulders and set your feet back on the path of righteousness. First John one nine is one of my favorite verses that comes with a one thousand percent guaranteed promise. That verse says, "If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from any unrighteousness." Wow, wow, wow! That is a guarantee that you and I can hold on to never doubting its authenticity or trustworthiness for one single second. Our Father isn't only a jealous God and wrathful God like we talked before. He is a faithful God, a just God, a loving God. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to us, His children. So let's debunk the lie that we have to be afraid of God, that we can't come to God, turn away from our sins, and admit our idolatry because He might smite us. Nah, friend, our Father is faithful, loving, and forgiving. The road of discipline, sanctification, and correction when we've strayed may sting, but it's only because He wants to set us free on the way everlasting. That is so loving. Moving on, let's talk about the next step, putting God back up on the throne of our hearts in first place. Remember what we talked about earlier? God will not share his throne. He will not be the one to share first place in your heart with someone or something else. Again, not because he's cocky and arrogant, but because he's everything. Because he's more than enough for our lives. Because he's created us and knows what's best for us. Because he's loving and wants to protect us from the hurt of idolatry. But putting God back up on the throne of our heart shouldn't be mistaken for getting saved again. This is simply just reestablishing and recommitting your affections to God. It's getting back into God's word, getting back into pure affection and communication with him, reminding yourself that he alone deserves to be number one in your life. Read the word and let him speak to you. When we dismantle and destroy idols in our lives, we open up communication. We open up avenues for God to speak to us, reminding us who he is. And as he reminds us who he is and what he's given us, we can love him more. And the more we love him, the more we'll treasure and worship him. The more we can value and honor him and put him first above everything else. Declare that you want him to be first place in your life with your mouth. Believe it in your heart as you get to know him, that he's worthy to be there. Then live it out in your daily life in his strength. You don't have to do it on your own. Remember that. Let your actions reflect the fact that you treasure God most of all. When people look at your life, can they tell that you treasure God most of all? For example, when you're tempted to give more of your time to social media and not even spend an inch or a millisecond with God, live out your faith. Remind your heart that time in the word and pouring truth over yourself, that he deserves to be number one. That as a Christian, sure, you can enjoy things of this world, but nothing of this world should be worshipped, treasured, or revered in first place. First thought, first priority. No, that spot is for God and God alone. Okay, okay, this may seem impossible, but would you stick with me? Like we talked about earlier in the episode, this is a daily surrender. It oftentimes will be a daily surrender in practice, consciously reminding yourself to put God back up on the throne of your heart. This may be catching yourself in the act, finding yourself drooling over social media, your physical appearance, or whatever it may be, too much. You may cringely begin to realize that you're spending too much time worshiping this person or this activity or this app. Believe me, I've been there too. And that's when we start this process like we've been talking. Recognizing, confessing, replacing, and following God back onto the path everlasting that He has waiting for us. Oh, and did I mention that this takes a lot of prayer? But hey, remember, prayer is our weapon. It's our protection, our communication, our fellowship with the Lord the one who holds all the answers and all the ammo to destroy any stronghold of sin or idolatry in our lives. That's pretty cool that we have that communication. One of the last encouraging tips I'll give you today is to be willing to make hard choices. Ew, (laughs) did anyone cringe? It's never fun to talk about making hard choices, pruning, and sacrificing for God. Honestly, it just is. It's not our natural bend as humans to get excited about hard times or things, but if we're serious about living in a way living in the way everlasting, and following the Lord wholeheartedly, we need to be willing to let God refine us in the fire and burn up our dead branches. I got a challenge for us. And yes, this even includes me. Take some time after this episode or whenever you can to sit down and write a list of things that you're spending the most time doing, thinking of, or obsessing over. Get alone and get honest with yourself and God. Is it social media? Is it your boyfriend? Is it wishing for a boyfriend? Is it a dream job? Is it X amount of dollars? Write down those things and spend some time analyzing with God. How much time are you spending, thinking, putting into those things? Have those things in any way hindered your relationship with God? Have they taken time away from serving God, reading with God, etc.? I love to do this practice every month or so, an idol's inventory of sorts. To be completely honest with you, it always stings but it's worth it when I do it. It's a great way to push us out of our comfort zones and get active about rooting out our idols. And then once you've spent time searching and knowing with the Lord, be prepared to make some big changes. Spend time in prayer, obviously, asking God how to move forward. Spend time with other mentors and people that you trust their godly advice, but be prepared to put boundaries on or even cut out some things altogether if it's an idol. Seem harsh? I hope it doesn't come across that way, and believe me, I'm preaching to the choir here too. But when it comes to idolatry, it's heavy. When it comes to sin, it's heavy. It's detrimental. It's obstructive to our relationship with God and even those in our lives, our friends and our family. So we need to be at least willing to hear God out when he wants to prune us. And when we get to know God and trust him more, we can say yes and be obedient. Because in the grand scheme of things, friend, it's better. His way is better. His pruning may leave a sting or a little blood, but watch the beautiful blooms he brings from it. And before we close, I want to add this little nugget. Maybe you're sitting pretty right now. Maybe you've been listening and you're thinking, I don't think I have any major idols in my life right now, Tara. I've been evaluating and thinking during this talk and I can't think of any. Well, friend, that's wonderful. Like, it truly is. That's a gift that your affections are in check right now. But I've been in this spot many times when I've been sitting pretty, feeling like I was immune to setting up idols in my life. But here's the thing. Inevitably, sin and idols will pop up. We know this, right? So what should we be doing every day, regardless of what our current season looks like? We should be praying daily, weekly, monthly, sitting with God, asking Him to search and know us, like Psalm 139 says. I remember times when I was extremely blind to my sin and the affections of my heart. I remember thinking things were okay, but our Father knows us more than anyone could ever imagine. So sometimes, a lot of times, all the time, really, we need to ask God to keep us humble and alert. That's the last challenge and nugget I'll give you today is just to remember how how powerful prayer is and how this is going to walk you through your journey of discerning and destroying idols in your life. We need prayer to be the fuel. We need prayer to be our communication with the Lord because we cannot do this on our own. So take heart, friend. Not only is our God wrathful and righteous and jealous i mean rightly so but he's also loving and forgiving and gracious and all he wants for you is for you to walk in the way everlasting and so he has ways like we talked about to discern and destroy the idols in your life will you join me in it Wow, wow, wow. Sweet friend, I know that was a jam-packed episode, but thank you for being here. Thank you for your humble heart, for the way that you're constantly showing up here, seeking to follow God and grow even deeper in your faith. I can't tell you how inspiring it is to me. I really pray that this episode was challenging, convicting, and comforting all at the same time, if that's even possible. If you were encouraged and challenged by today's episode and would love others to hear about it too, please take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories while tagging me at Miss Tara Sun and at Truth Talks with Tara. I am a big fan of you, yes, you, and would love to thank you personally for sharing the truth with me. Again, thank you for listening to another episode of Truth Talks with Tara. Love you oh so much. Here's to being women who know God's truth, love God's truth, and live God's truth.